everyone, and welcome back. So happy to have you here with me to discuss yet another case. And if you're new, then welcome. So today we have quite the case to go over. We're going to be talking about a love triangle, a cheating situation that ended in a horrific way. We're going to be talking about Ashley Harmon and Emmett Corrigan. Cases like this are so frustrating. It is so sad to see families torn apart from cheating situations, but especially situations that end up like this. So let's go ahead and start. And I want to begin by talking about Ashley Harmon. So Ashley Harmon was born in 1982. And from a very young age, she knew that she wanted to be a mother. She had very strong motherly instincts and always knew that having a big family was something that was very important to her. She grew up Mormon and a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Being family oriented is also a big value in that church. Ashley also came from a pretty big family herself. She was one of five. She had has two older brothers, Jeff and Josh, and then two younger sisters, Abby and Allie. And her parents say that her motherly instincts really kicked in after her younger sisters were born and she became an older sister. She absolutely loved her little sisters and was always doing what she could to keep them entertained, even when she was very young herself. The Harmon family moved around quite a bit between Idaho and California, but in 1990, her family settled in Boise. And they said they picked Boise because it felt different, it felt very homey to them and her father started up a chiropractic business there and life was going really well for a long time they had a very idyllic childhood the siblings grew up very close she did say that they grew up kind of struggling financially but she never remembered it being a stressor on the kids like she wasn't super aware that her parents were sometimes struggling financially but obviously as a kid there's a lot of things that you were just unaware of sometimes in your parents relationship and her parents ended up getting divorced two years after they moved to Boise. And this was a pretty big shock to all the children, but especially Ashley. It was around this time that she realized that life wasn't perfect, that their life wasn't perfect. And it was just really hard on her. She was just nine years old at the time and her family ended up kind of split up over this. She and her two younger sisters moved with their mom to Twin Falls, Idaho, and her two older brothers stayed in Boise with their dad. They would still meet up and kind of switch off and get time with the other kids on the weekends, but obviously this dynamic is very hard in a family. And so Ashley knew that she wanted something different for her future family, but she still went on to have a very good childhood. She was really into dance and cheerleading when they moved to Twin Falls. She practiced any chance she could, and eventually she became the captain of her cheerleading squad. But unfortunately, that wasn't very long lived because in 1997, her mom got remarried and they moved again. They moved in 1997, and this time they ended up in St. George, Utah. Even though this move was very tough on her, obviously, she did love living in Boise. She made a new life in St. George and spent a lot of time still dancing and ended up on a new cheerleading squad. As she grew older, her love for religion and family remained a constant in her life. In 2003, she ended up attending Utah State University, where she first majored in photography, but she ended up switching into studying child development. When she was in college, she was working at the university gym and one night, one of her friends introduced her to 23-year-old Emmett Corrigan. So Emmett was born on August 30th, 1980 to his parents, Radian Blackwell and Mike Corrigan, and he was a medical student. And Ashley says that when they met, it was definitely love at first sight. There was some type of spark 
that instantly flew, and the two of them started spending a lot of time together. So Emmett was originally from Boise, and he was Mormon, but he did not grow up Mormon. He actually found Mormonism on his own later in life. Emmett first became a Mormon in high school, and he attended Rick's College for one semester before serving two years as an LDS missionary in Brazil. The two of them began dating very quickly after they met for the first time, and they were brought even closer by their shared faith. And after that, they decided that they wanted to get married after only a few months of dating. So on March 6, 2004, they got married at the Mount Timpanogos LDS Temple. And only a few months after that, Ashley found out that she was pregnant with twin girls. Their twins, Boston and Bailey, were born in 2005, and Ashley was very happy to be a mother. And she also said Emmett was very happy to be a father and described him as a very attentive, loving, very involved father from the beginning. They knew that they wanted to have a big family, so in 2007, she gave birth to their third child, a boy who they named Teague. She said that Emmett was very excited to have a son and was a very protective father over his three children. They did so much together, and for a few years, it felt to Ashley that they had created the perfect family, at least from her own standards. She said that these were really beautiful years for their family and that she enjoyed all their moments when their kids were young very much. But things started to change slightly in 2008 when Emmett decided that he wanted a change of career and he went back to school. He ended up deciding to become a lawyer and obviously that's a lot of education and he and Ashley talked extensively about this decision and she ultimately wanted to support him doing this. So they packed up everything they owned, completely changed their life and moved with their three children to Spokane, Washington, where Ashley's parents lived, which obviously was really nice for Ashley to have her parents there to help and be involved with the kids. And they loved their grandchildren. So it was nice because Emmett had a lot of time that he was putting towards school. Because Emmett was attending school at Gonzaga, he ended up having to deal with a pretty long commute, about an hour, twice a day, to go to and from campus, which definitely took a lot of time away from seeing his family, and this was tough on them. But like I said, Ashley was a very natural mother. She loved being home with her kids, and she did most of the childcare, and that really wasn't a problem for her. I mean, being a mom was her dream. So the fact that Emmett got busier wasn't necessarily the worst thing ever. I mean, obviously, she missed him, and she wished that he could spend more time with the kids, but she felt like this was going to help their family in the long run and would be worth the time that he was away from the family. She was really hoping that after law school, he would have less of a commute and would have a few more hours each day with their family. So Emmett started wrapping up law school in November of 2009, and Ashley was definitely looking forward to that chapter ending. And around this time, Ashley also gave birth to their fourth child, a daughter who they named Kalia. And after he graduated law school, their family packed up again and they moved to Boise and Emmett got a job there working at a bankruptcy law firm. But obviously on top of working at the firm, he still was prepping for the bar, which is very, very hard and takes up a lot of time. So there were a lot of hours that he was cooped up studying and wasn't available to Ashley and the kids, but it was still a lot of work for Ashley to be, you know, the main caretaker for her four children. And if that wasn't enough, Ashley then became pregnant with her fifth 
child. Obviously, at that point, Ashley was very much looking forward to Emmett passing the bar and hopefully having more time with the family. And eventually he did pass the bar, but his workload did not slow down at all. In fact, it increased. And obviously, people don't choose to be lawyers because it allows for lots of downtime. I mean, it's a very demanding career, and Ashley did understand this. Thankfully, though, when Emmett was around, she said that he was a very involved and attentive father. He loved each of his children very much, at least in Ashley's perspective, and he seemed really excited about their fifth baby on the way. Emmett loved being a father just as much as Ashley loved being a mother. But like I mentioned, his work hours only started to increase with time. By mid-2010, he decided he wanted to open a small criminal defense practice as sort of a side gig to make some extra money. He would still be working at the bankruptcy firm, but he'd always been very interested in criminal defense, so he decided to pursue it. And at first, he seemed to be able to handle all of this work on his own, but eventually the workload just became too much and he decided to hire someone else. And that's when Candy Hall comes into the picture. Candy was an experienced paralegal and she had been looking for a job since September of that year and had been laid off by her previous employer. And just like Emmett, Candy was a family-oriented person. She was also married and had kids of her own. Her husband Rob worked in IT at the local sheriff's department in Meridian, Idaho. And her two daughters were in their teens, so they needed far less supervision than Emmett's young children did. And I'm sure as a true crime viewer, you probably already guessed that there was a connection and an attraction between Emmett and Candy. And it only took two weeks for their professional relationship to turn into a sexual relationship. And of course, they tried to keep this a secret. But Ashley figured out pretty quickly that something was off with her husband. She couldn't quite put a finger on what it was, but she just could sense it. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, she was always used to not having Emmett around a lot, to him working late, putting in long hours, but something was different now. She could tell that there was a emotional disconnect between them and he seemed distant. And during all this, she's pregnant with their fifth baby and he was not making time for her the way that he had in the past through all of her other pregnancies. Throughout the years, he'd always tried to make it to most of her doctor's appointments and was very supportive through those periods of her life. But this time, he suddenly always had something to do at the office and she started to go to her doctor's appointments alone for the most part. And yes... He was working a lot and had a lot going on in his professional life, but a lot of his extra time was going to Candy. Like I said, Ashley couldn't quite put a finger on what was going on, but she knew something was, and it did cross her mind that maybe Emmett was having an affair, but she just didn't think that he would actually do that. You know, it's hard to accept something like that, especially when you've had a great relationship up until this point. So one day she decides to surprise Emmett at work. She was coming back from a doctor's appointment actually, and was excited to update him on the health of their unborn son. And so she goes to his work and she's hoping that they can go have lunch together and spend a little free time together. But when she showed up, she was surprised to see that Emmett did not seem excited to see her at all. He turned ghost white when she walked in and seemed very uncomfortable that she was there. And when she was there, she was also greeted by Candy Hall. And she said that Candy was wearing a very short skirt and super high heels. And for a second, she thought, maybe this is it. Maybe he's having an affair. But she quickly put this out of her mind because Candy was quite a bit older than Emmett. And 
she figured, you know, I'm in my 20s. We have this beautiful family. There's no way that this is happening. Candy was 40 years old, so 10 years older than Emmett and 12 years older than Ashley. So once their fifth child was born, Titus, Candy had actually been extremely kind to Ashley. She sent her all these care packages and baby blankets. Ashley even got a lot of his newborn pictures taken with the blankets that Candy gave her. And at that point, she really pushed the whole idea that Emmett was having an affair with Candy out of her mind because it just seemed very unlikely that this woman could be the reason that Emmett was acting so differently. And when their son was born, Ashley said that Emmett was very different than he had been in previous deliveries. He seemed very withdrawn. She said it was like he wasn't even there. He was distracted, constantly on his phone, and just treating her completely different than she was used to in her past births. And after having a baby, your emotions can really go wild. Postpartum depression, anxiety, hormones is a bitch to deal with, let alone if you have something like this going on with your husband. She did her best to kind of push past all the thoughts that she was having and continue to think of ways that they could repair their problems because she was set on having this perfect family. She even tried marriage counseling. And when it came time for them to meet for their session, Emmett didn't even show up, but she was still determined to make things work with Emmett and turn everything around. And I imagine a lot of that came from experiencing her own parents' divorce and just knowing that she didn't want that for herself. And obviously she wanted her kids to have the perfect family situation. Now, meanwhile, Candy's husband, Rob, is experiencing something similar to what Ashley is. He said he saw his wife pulling away from him, but the difference was he seemed pretty aware that Candy was sleeping with her boss. In January of 2011, he emailed her saying, good luck with Emmett. Karma's a bitch. I'll have the last laugh. And this is definitely a warning of what was to come. So by March 11th of 2001, both Rob and Ashley were really fed up with what they were dealing with with their spouses. But Ashley, of course, was not ready to give up. And she said she woke up that morning and decided to take matters into her own hands. She said, you know, I was determined to fix it that day, get to the bottom of what's going on and fix this marriage. So she spent all day cooking this amazing meal for her husband. She was hoping that he would come home and see that she had spent all this time cooking and see all their beautiful children and be very thankful for her. She even cooked his favorite meal. She set the table super nicely and had cleaned the whole house. And she was hoping that he would come home. They would all sit down together and have dinner as a family for the first time in a while. And that maybe they could talk after this and really get their relationship back on track. But Emmett came home late, of course, and all the food was cold by the time he got home and the kids were already in bed. And then to make it even worse, he said he had already eaten and didn't want to eat any of her food. So that was totally crushing to her. I mean, all she wanted was some family time and hopefully some one-on-one time with him to really talk things through and hopefully get things back on track, but she would never get that chance. Very quickly after he came home, he tells her that he has to leave again and he is going out to Walgreens and she begged him to stay, but he is adamant that he's got to go to Walgreens. He said he had to go and pick up a prescription. And meanwhile, Candy is saying the same thing to her husband. She needs to go to Walgreens. And earlier that evening, she had come home to Rob packing up all his things. He had had enough. 
He told her that he was done with their relationship and that she had been so non-responsive to their relationship for the past few months. So he left their house around 8.45 and didn't say where he was going or what he was planning on doing. Not long after, Candy leaves the house to go to Walgreens. And of course, she is going there to meet up with Emmett. And the two of them both arrived in the Walgreens parking lot around 9.10 p.m. Now, she did end up picking up a prescription, but clearly that wasn't the main reason that she was going there. Candy gets in Emmett's truck, and then the two of them went and put gas in it and drove around for a bit until parking near a subdivision that was under construction, where, of course, they went and proceeded to have sex for the second time that day. So then Candy receives a call from her daughter, who had also gone to Walgreens and saw her mom's car parked there, but her mom wasn't in the car and wasn't in Walgreens, so she called her to see where she was. Candy obviously was busy and didn't answer the first couple of calls. So her daughter was concerned and she called her father and told him that she had seen her mother's car parked at Walgreens, but her mom was nowhere to be found. Obviously, Rob doesn't want to tell his daughter what he thinks is going on, but he is immediately suspicious that Candy is probably off with Emmett somewhere. Eventually, their daughter was able to get a hold of Candy and she told her that she had met up with a friend in a parking lot, but she was on her way home. But at this point, it was too late. Rob knew exactly where his wife was, who she was with, and what they were doing, and he was pissed. I mean, he was already upset with her and this just threw him over the edge. So as Candy and Emmett are driving back to the Walgreens parking lot after doing the deed, she gets a call from Rob and he wants to confront her. And before she even really has a chance to talk to him on the phone, Emmett takes the phone from her and talks to Rob himself. She said that Emmett was extremely confrontational with Rob on the phone and threatened to, quote, crack his fucking head. This conversation was pretty short. And by the time they got to the parking lot... Rob was already there waiting for them. And before they even got to the parking lot, he is seen on surveillance footage just pacing the aisles of the Walgreens. Maybe he thought he would find the two of them inside. But when he realized that they weren't there yet, he parked his truck in a parking spot and just waited for them to enter the lot. So it was just after 10 p.m. when Candy and Emmett pull into the Walgreens parking lot and they don't know Rob is there. So she gets out of Emmett's car and starts walking towards her own. But of course, Rob is sitting there waiting and as soon as he sees Candy get out of the car, he starts walking towards them. Now, this is where the details of the story get kind of fuzzy. If you take Candy's word for how everything happened, here's how she said things went down. She said that Emmett got out of the car too and began verbally attacking and threatening Rob. She said that it was Emmett who instigated contact with Rob after Rob had told him to go back to his wife and five kids. Candy said at that point she started to walk towards her own car and turned away from the two of them. And at that point, she heard two gunshots go off, followed by a third. She said she turned around to see what had happened. And then she saw both of them on the ground and Rob was bleeding from his head and Emmett was bleeding from his head and his chest. Candy immediately runs over to Rob and says that she flings the gun away from him. So someone nearby hears the gunshots and calls 911. And then just a minute later, Candy calls 911 herself and she is absolutely frantic in this call. 
And even though someone else had called 911, they didn't actually witness this all unfolding. They just heard the gunshots. So Candy is the only witness, even though she said she was partially turned around. So the ambulance gets there and the EMTs discover two males on the ground, one who is already deceased and one who is still responsive, but not doing well. The first bullet had been shot through Emmett's chest, hitting his spinal cord and likely bringing him to his knees at that point. The second shot, which was fatal, went through the right side of his forehead and out the other end. Rob was still alive and was quickly rushed to the hospital. He had a gunshot wound to the head. However, it was surface level and didn't even break through his skull. So they get him to the hospital, treat him, and after that, of course, they question him. And not so surprisingly, he says he doesn't remember what happened. He allegedly suffered from retrograde amnesia and said he couldn't piece together a lot of the details of what happened. However, he did remember that he went to the parking lot because he received a call from their daughter about Candy's car being abandoned there. He explains that he remembers getting there and seeing Candy and Emmett pull in and that when they arrived, Emmett immediately gets out of the car and starts being aggressive. And he claims that during this altercation, his gun just happens to fall out of his pocket and then Emmett picks it up and shoots him. And at first he claims that he doesn't remember shooting Emmett, but later on he claimed he did in self-defense. Meanwhile, Candy is also being questioned. And I'm sure it will surprise none of you when I say that she blatantly lied to police when they asked her about her relationship with Emmett. Candy claimed that the two of them met up to talk about life and their marital problems, but the two were never romantically involved. She explained how she received a call from her daughter and a second call from Rob, and it was during the call with Rob that Emmett took the phone and began threatening him. And she confirmed that Emmett was the aggressor once they got to the parking lot, but she turned and walked away before the gunshots went off, so she couldn't say who shot first, which is quite convenient if you ask me. So poor Ashley is at home feeling very broken about their marriage and what had happened that night. And at 1 a.m. on March 12th, several officers from the Meridian Police Department knocked on her door and told her that her husband had been shot and killed. And she was absolutely shocked. Obviously, this news was extremely hard for her to process. And if that wasn't devastating enough, she then finds out that it's Candy's husband, Rob, who shot and killed Emmett, which immediately confirms to her that the two of them had been having an affair. I don't think there are even words to describe that type of pain. On one hand, you've just lost the father of your children, the man you thought was going to love you forever. And on the other hand, you learn that that same person was capable of hurting you in such a terrible way. Obviously, her emotions were all over the place. It was probably so hard to wrap her mind that all of that cost him his life. And I don't even know how you begin to cope with that. But she knew that she had responsibilities as a mother and she had to continue on for them. So in the several weeks and months after this all unfolds, they have to get used to living without their father and adjust to this new normal. Ashley was left to raise these five children 
on her own. And with all of this, you know, resentment, grief, so many different emotions going on here. I just cannot imagine being in her shoes during this time. Meanwhile, investigators are looking more and more into what really happened because they had a feeling that they were not getting the full story from Candy and Rob, and they were right. They found printed emails in Rob's car, which outlined the affair that his wife was having with her boss. And obviously this not only confirms that she was having an affair, but that her husband knew about it. So they're able to establish motive pretty quickly. And a chemical analysis also proved that Rob was the only person with gunshot residue on his hands, meaning that it was impossible for Emmett to have shot Rob at all. So to them, it's starting to look like this was an attempted murder-suicide. However, only the murder part was successful. And on top of this, Rob showing up in the parking lot with a gun on hand shows that he probably had intent to do harm. So as a result, Robert Dean Hall was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Rob's trial began in October of 2012, during which more information came to light. His defense attorney repeatedly argued that it was Emmett's responsibility for what happened that night, and that... Rob just shot him as a way to defend himself. And Candy's testimony completely corroborated this theory. She told the jury about the threats that Emmett had made to Rob on the phone that night and how he was provoking her husband in the parking lot. Candy claimed that the two of them were just insulting each other back and forth, but it was Emmett who initiated contact after Rob made a comment telling him to go back home to his wife and five children. Court documents also share that she tried to intervene by telling Emmett to get back in his truck and telling Rob that it was time to go home. After this, Candy alleges that she turned around to walk back to her car, which is when she heard the three gunshots. And of course, she conveniently didn't see who shot first. And through her testimony, it's easy to see that she was sticking by her husband's side. Even though she admitted that she and Emmett had gone to an attorney that very day to talk about steps that they would both be taking to divorce their spouses. It also came out that Emmett's aggression towards Rob came as the result of him finding out that Rob had beaten Candy multiple times. Candy and the defense attorneys both say that this is what prompted Emmett to try and kill Rob. But as convincing as they thought that they were in court, the prosecuting attorneys had an argument backed with a lot more proof. During trial, the prosecution argued that Rob went to Walgreens that night with the intent to kill his wife's lover. For starters, he had spent several hours that evening packing up his bags to leave his wife. Their daughter, Hannah, even testified that she saw her father packing up his bags. Obviously, this alone doesn't prove intent to kill, but if you consider the fact that he brought his gun with him to Walgreens that night and had copies of printed emails in his truck that outline the affair, it starts to look a lot more probable that he knew what he wanted to do. And I think the most convincing piece of evidence here is that only Rob had gun residue on his hands. I mean, that just says a lot. So towards the end of trial, Ashley ends up taking the stand herself and talks about just how terrible of a loss this was for her. And then the head didn't just end in an affair. In a life. And in my family. This is a picture I took. I think it was about a week before um, Emmett died. She held a photo of her and Emmett's five children as she talked. The night itself was a traumatic event for each of us. And the two years that have followed have brought much pain. I've tried to figure out how, and without hearing, I'm sorry. 
Edmund's chance to say I'm sorry isn't here. The second you took out that gun at the holster, you already knew what you were going to do with it, didn't you? You killed my son. It was incredibly emotional testimony as Emmett's parents talked about the impact of his death. I miss my Emmett. I need him to be here. And he should be here. So, in the end, there was more than enough evidence to prove Rob's guilt. But there wasn't enough evidence to prove that the attack was premeditated. So, as a result, Rob was convicted of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. We're going straight to the big story with today's Six on Your Side. The man who killed his wife's lover in a Meridian parking lot sentenced to 30 years behind bars. The only time Rob actually spoke in court was when he made a final apology to the Corgan family. And the apology Ashley waited for. The shockwaves beyond that have shattered Emmett's wife, Ashley, and their children. And I'm so sorry. He did attempt to appeal his conviction not long after being sentenced by bringing forward some of Emmett's old Facebook posts. These posts made comments about fighting someone, and even though it doesn't specify that he was going to fight Rob, he and his lawyers tried to argue that these posts were made during the time of his affair with Candy. They argued that the aggression in these posts is proof that Emmett had initiated contact with Rob first, but the appeal was ultimately denied, and he is serving his 30-year sentence at the Idaho State Correctional Facility. And the earliest he is up for parole is 2028, which is quickly approaching. Now, as for Candy, she faced some legal trouble of her own. Later that year in 2012, she was sentenced to 14 years in prison for embezzling $32,000 from her former boss, Jared Martins. Part of her sentence required that she serve two years before becoming eligible for a parole, but the same judge that sentenced her released her early with the requirement that she serve six months in a prison-based treatment program. Today, Candy is still on probation and will be until 2026. As for Ashley, she did her best to move on with life and make it as enjoyable and normal for her kids as possible, which clearly was very difficult. And they were forced to move on without the apology that they so desperately wanted. Candy had never taken responsibility for the part that she played in Emmett's death, and that always haunted Ashley. Ashley said that Emmett's death was like torture for her in many ways. For several months, she felt worthless, just knowing that her husband died in the hands of another woman. And considering that she had recently given birth when he died, she said she truly felt ugly to him, which is just absolutely terrible. Over time, she felt like she was able to cope more with her situation, and eventually, she was approached by Dr. Phil. And just being contacted by Dr. Phil's team in 2015 really opened a lot of old wounds that she was trying really hard to heal. In the four years since he had passed, she had written a book called The Moments We Stand, Silence Breaks, where she talks about faith, hope, and forgiveness. And she said that when Dr. Phil's team approached her about being on the show, they made it sound like they we're going to really focus on her book, promoting it, talk about her healing journey. And at first she was really eager for this, but just days before she was scheduled to appear on the show, they contacted her and asked her to remove her no contact order that she currently had against 
candy. Of course, they wanted to make it a big moment, like these two finally come face to face because that's what Dr. Phil is all about. So Ashley did remove the no contact order and she thought maybe she'd finally get the apology that she'd been looking for after all these years, but that couldn't be further from what happened. Ashley's on the show first, and I don't think I can use any Dr. Phil clips because he is like strict about the copyright, but they interview her first and she talks about her whole experience and then they bring Candy out and there's like this silent walk of her coming up to the stage. You can just feel the tension and the way that Candy first start speaking is so odd to me. She doesn't seem like she has a lot of remorse. She took no responsibility for the part that she played in all of this. In fact, the first thing she says to her is, what do you want from me? You want an apology? You want me to say sorry? And just the way she said it is so condescending. And even though she does technically say sorry, in my opinion, it didn't seem very genuine. I will go ahead and put a link to this clip in the description box if you want to go and check it out for yourself. And she actually said that Emmett knew what he was doing when he started sleeping with her. And she overall just had no remorse at all. Candy even says that Ashley has painted her out to be this horrible person. And she said she isn't that. After the show aired, Ashley has come forward and said that she was completely frozen when Candy was brought out and wasn't able to say everything that she wanted to. I'm sure that moment was very overwhelming. And she also said that she regrets going on the show entirely because it felt like they were rubbing salt in her wounds. And despite this being such a horrible, horrible tragedy, I wanted to try and end things here on a somewhat positive note. Ashley has taken some really incredible steps towards healing, and I think she is such a strong woman. I mentioned that Ashley wrote a book, but she also runs a blog where she advocates on behalf of victims of trauma. And she also shares resources on dealing with loss, grief, widowhood, and so much more. I thought this was super impressive. And not only that, she is also the founder of a nonprofit called A Reason to Stand, and it has a series of online courses that she sells to help guide people through grief. And lastly, and this is some good news, she did go on to get remarried. Sounds like he is a wonderful man. His name is Scott Boyson, and together they had two more kids, Kennedy and Kyler. I can't imagine she'll ever be the same after all that she's been through, but it sounds like she has really taken her life into her own hands, and it's really just commendable to see how dedicated she is to helping others. She is a wonderful mother, and like I said, I think she is incredibly strong and inspiring to me. That is going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you want to watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there. <laughs>